0: Better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't
1: have to be well, good morning everybody. It is time for Out Back with Jack. I know, I know. Look. It's inside with Jack today. That's what my wife called it. Um, it's twenty nine degrees out there which isn't that big a deal with the patio heater on really. Um <clears throat> But I'm still nursing the sore throat and it's not the COVID because I already had it, but I'm, I'm nursing some kind of a mild crud and I'm trying to save my voice and I don't need to agitate it by doing anything like that. The other thing is there's still crap all over the porch Uh from the workshop and the lady that gets hired to help my wife clean everything up. Well, she's, uh she's coming this afternoon. That means she hasn't been there yet and there's stuff all over the porch. So, it just was easier to do it inside of day. It was warm in here, and basically my wife said, that's what you're doing. So uh, since that's what she said, she's right because, well, in certain things, <clears throat> they're always right, aren't they, guys? All right, enough stall. Let's dig into it today. I got a bunch of stuff, and then I am going to open it. To if people want to come on and, and chat a bit, uh, I'll throw an invite link in the, uh, the YouTube chat. So if you want to do that, you're going to get over to YouTube to do that. Those of you watching me on Float, thank you for doing that. Um, but I can only manage all the chat uh, from my backside of StreamYard from here. If you're listening to the audio of this, you could be enjoying this in live real-time format and chatting with other TSP people and maybe even making some connections and relationships and networking if you're on the live feed. The best way to be on the live feed is make sure that you're in touch with all the ways that I communicate. And the number one way, the number one way to make sure you never miss the knowledge that it's going to happen is to get on Telegram and follow us on Telegram, either the group or the announcement channel for the Survival Podcast. So heres I got a bunch of stuff, and it's all over the map. I got some feedback on social media, of uh, what people want to talk about. I just randomly pluck things out of the news. I try to make these Friday ones very laid back. Um, we might talk about a serious thing or two. I had hoped that I could weigh in on the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict yet, but I, apparently the jurors there um, – don't understand self-defense, and so they're deliberating. And I think there is a bunch of rumors that they're afraid, and I guess I would be too. And I'm not going to say anything negative or positive about anybody involved with this until we have a verdict, <clears throat> because speaking before a thing happens about a thing about what might happen, uh, especially when it's negative toward an individual that you don't know, is stupid. And we try to avoid that around here. It's called critical thinking. So I can't talk about that now, but let's talk about something that's that's, that's going on. And this has to do with why there's a such thing as a space force right now. It's not the only reason, but it's, it's why, and this has nothing to do with orange band, good or orange band, bad, nothing at all. It's just reality. We've really done a good job of screwing this planet up. We certainly haven't figured out how to use its resources properly. We haven't, we haven't figured out how to get along. We haven't figured out how to stop fighting as nation states over pieces and parts of it. Um, We haven't shown ourselves to be, in my opinion, a very grown-up, responsible species within our galaxy, certainly not our universe. But you know what we're about to do? We're about to start fighting over the moon. Do you think that I'm kidding right now? I'm not. There is going to be, now whether it turns into shooting conflict or it's diplomatic conflict, it's the leveraging of hard and soft power, who knows? But we're going to fight over the moon. And I'm going to explain something to you that you have to dig deep to even find out about the moon and its value. What you're going to hear about, and this is a piece of it, but without the other part I'm going to give you, the piece I'm going to give you doesn't even really matter. It doesn't, it's not possible to do the thing they're talking about without the thing that I'm going to give you. So the thing that you will find some discussion about right now is a thing called helium-3. This is a helium isotope, and it's all over the moon. It's literally everywhere because the moon has no real atmosphere and it's bathed in the radiation from the sun and it collects helium three and a very like the amount of helium three that you could bring back. If you had basically the cargo area of a space shuttle empty could run the United States for depending on who you listen to one to three years, one trip load it up, bring it back enough energy to run the entire country through fusion energy. Really? No, this is not science fiction, guys. This is the most valuable substance in the universe. The problem is you have to basically strip mine the moon to get it. It's not like you dig up a pocket of helium-3. It's dispersed in the dust and in the top layers of the moon all across it, almost evenly in certain areas, not across the whole thing. It's how the sun hits the surface of the moon, right? And there's areas where it's easy to do because they're, they call them seas, right? The sea of tranquility is where our first astronauts landed. And then there's areas that are very rugged and cratered and rocky, and they're more difficult. So you have to find these little areas and basically scrape this stuff and filter the helium three out of it. And that's what people are saying. There might be conflict over the moon over and wrong. Because if you don't do the first thing I'm about to give you, the second thing becomes almost impossible to do on a meaningful scale. The moon is a harsh environment. It sucks. And Even though you only see one side of the moon, that doesn't mean only one side of the moon gets sunlight and it's baking hot and very cold, baking hot and very cold as the moon rotates. And if you're going to have energy on the moon right now, you're going to do it with solar panels. So you need a place where you can have almost continuous energy. You also need water. Without water, all the people trying to do all the work die. And then we need water because if we're going to be going back and forth to the moon, And back and forth from Mars to the moon to Earth as a way station, which is the plan, you need water. You need water for people to drink, but you also need water for what else? Rocket fuel. Has anybody explained this to you? Isn't this crazy that Redneck Hippie knows this? Redneck Hippie, the farmer, knows this, and most people don't. Okay. Well, all the water on the moon, and there's water on the moon. Did you know that? It's on the South Pole. And the South Pole is cratered, majorly cratered. Apparently, asteroids, you know, an impact... Uh, comets and stuff, don't care about, you know, the angle of impact, right? They like to hit bottoms and tops sometimes. Just ask all the megafauna that's not here about it hitting Greenland. Anyway, so down on the South Pole, you can literally ring a crater with solar panels. And since the moon just rotates, some of those solar panels at all times have energy. Now, your astronauts, your space explorers, call them what you want, bathed in radiation, even in suits, are going to die with prolonged exposure on the moon. They need a place to get out. Well, it's always out inside the crater. So you can actually build your station inside the crater and put power on it, and you can suck ice out of these southern craters on the moon, on the South Pole, and get water. And it's really the only place on the moon, as big as it is, that you can do this. A little tiny area on the bottom. Now, there's something more important about this. Like I said, water folks, like you can drink, grow plants, whatever, okay? But you can also separate water into what? Hydrogen and oxygen. Cool, huh? Okay. So, and it's actually pretty easy to do. We know the process. And what is hydrogen and oxygen when isolated? It's rocket fuel. So all the rocket fuel, when you're dealing with the moon where there's no real gravity well, to launch missions to Mars, and to operate and run all of these missions for the Helium-3 and bring it back to Earth, all hinges on this one little place. Kind of like, you know, Russia wanting an access to the to to the seaport and how that caused all kinds of – did your history teacher teach you about that? If not, you'll have to look it up. It's the Black Sea of the Moon. It's the Black Sea of the Moon. Everything hinges on that one little spot, and then there's one other spot. There was a mathematician somewhere in the 17 or 1800s, can't remember his name. He figured out how all of this like gravitational thing worked with the moon going around the earth and the both of them going around the sun. And he figured out there should be a point on the backside of the moon that's like a gravitational eddy where there would be just a thing could sit, not in orbit, but just sit with almost no energy. It was a fairly small spot, but when we're talking about like space vehicles, it's plenty of room. Turns out that spot exists. He was right. So with that spot, you can mine oxygen and and hydrogen out of the water into rocket fuel. You can take off and you can have ships docked here to resupply fuel to ships going to Mars, to the moon, to the Earth, and back and forth, or going to the moon, to the Earth, and back. So those two spots, kind of important. We haven't even fixed the Earth yet. And we're going to start fighting over a giant, desolate rock. And that's not something that's sci-fi. That's something that's coming. But I do think it would make an interesting science fiction movie series or something like that. Cause we're always doing these scientific, like, you know, sci-fi things like Star Trek and Star Wars and a galaxy far, far away or Star Trek traveling a thousand times the speed of light. It's going to be interesting to see what humanity does with space exploration when it's the moon, the earth and half-ass attempts at Mars at first. Cause that's what it's going to be. Cause Mars, Mars is going to kill the fuck out of us before we get anywhere with it. Moving on. But who told you that? Float. I want to give you an up- update on float. I talked to Kingsley today. They're busting ass to try to have Float, the, the, the main version, the new version, call it whatever you want to, the real version of Float done by end of year. And it looks like they'll be able to do that, but, the, you know, I didn't get a guarantee. I got we're doing everything we can to make it happen. I'm really excited about that. I just want to keep you guys with your eyes on Float. I think Float is the next big thing in social media. I think the Float beta platform we're all using right now has a lot of things that I'm not so happy about. But when you say I'm building a whole new platform, so I don't want to try to fix the old platform, I get it. And I started doing, right before I went on vacation, float tips, little things you can do with float. I don't want to get too far along in that since the platform is going to change and have all these new features. But they are coming back next week. I'll probably drop one or two little tips on how you can grow your float network because I believe in a network, the early adopters reap the largest rewards. And I think float has the potential to be huge. It's big as Twitter. I don't know. But what if it could be 10% the size of Twitter or Facebook? Just 10%, right? What if you got to be an early adopter on something 10% the size of Twitter or Facebook? And it could be bigger. Uh, when the new platform comes out, the float tokens are coming with it. I think this is going to be a very cool platform. It's going to have marketplace, community, everything. So if you're not on float, get on float. Follow me. Follow some other folks. And check out – just look for float tips, Hashtag float tips, one word. And you can see the videos I've done already that show you some of the things you can do that I don't think most people that use Float, even a lot, know that you can do. Next up, when will the new platform be out? That's what Thomas wants to know, right? I just said they're working really hard to get the platform completed by the end of year. So that's the best answer I have. An exact date, I do not know. And what percent they are, I do not know. I I do have the ability to talk directly to Kingsley but I also don't bother the guy because he's trying to run a company. All right, next up, we'll stay in crypto space. As I mentioned, float tokens. ARK, all of you guys know I have been a pretty big fan of ARK. It's a cryptocurrency, ticker symbol ARK. It's a delegated proof of stake crypto. I am not making a buy recommendation right now, and I always say that, but I really mean it. I would not buy into ARK right now at its current price. I might, If I wanted to get into ARK, wait for it to come down. It pays a pretty good ROI uh, on a percentage annual yield basis. Um, it seems that since we went through the craziness in seventeen eighteen, it's kind of you know once it got out of the below one dollar, it's kind of stayed between like the dollar fifty and two fifty range. So that's pretty stable for a crypto, really. It certainly gives you a lot of you know bottom end buy and top end sell potential if you're a trader. Um, my concern for ARC. When Arc came out, I looked at it and said, this could be the WordPress of crypto and WordPress of blockchain. Point, click, blockchain, right? And how many things could be built on Arc? I hope they still fulfill their potential, but there's so many other tokenized ecosystems now that are just as easy, if not easier, that seem to be moving faster. I'm looking at you, Algorand. I'm looking at you, Cosmos, uh, at Cardano, et cetera, right? And so they seem to be making more progress. I still think Arc is Arc is a great technology. I still think it'll be around for a while. But the big news I have for you today is CoinEx, which is my favorite no KYC exchange that's also a centralized exchange, now allows you to trade Arc. So if you want to buy or sell Arc, you can do it on CoinEx. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what I like about proof of stake coins or tokens, call them what you will. That do not stake in the 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 the, the way that something like uh, a Cosmos based token does. So something like Cosmos Atom A T O M is the ticker symbol. It stakes for 21 days, and pretty much anybody that makes one like Sentinel is made from Atom, right? It's like you know instead of an ERC 20 token, it's an Atom based token, and all of those when you stake them, they go into a lockup period. And Ethereum stake, staking works the same way. You're you're when you stake, it's literally locked up in a contract. And when you say unstake, there's a period of time you have to wait for it to be released so you can trade it. Got it? That's what that's what kind of I, I don't know what the right term for it is. I call it lockup staking because it literally locks up your stake. There are other cryptos like Algorand and Arc. Basically, you stake by holding. In Arc, you have to select a delegate. With Algorand, you literally just like use Exodus, hold Algorand, and you're staked. But you can take your money out anytime you want. And put it back in. And as soon as you put it back in, you start accumulating staking again. So what I like about ARK and Algorand is when it does some stupid run-up, well, I can dump it on an exchange, like 60% of it, and I can sell it. I can convert it to Bitcoin, or I can wait for it to come back down and buy it back and increase my holdings and then move it back into a staking position. And all that can and has happened in a couple hours. I can't do that with a lock-up stake. You understand why? Oh, look, it's a run-up. Unlock. 21 days later, elevator music plays. Where are we at now? So if you're planning on trading a thing like a Cosmos and you're staking it, you have to be well in advance, like next month I'm going to do it and unlock it. Now having a no KYC exchange with ARC opens up a whole new world to do that with because I've had to use Bitrix in the past. So just wanted you to know that's available. And I will say this, I'm not sure yet, but I have a pretty significant holding in ARC. If we get an inversion right now, Meaning that ARC goes on some kind of a really big run up, say in the 250 range and Bitcoin continues this downward trend or holds where it's at, I might flip and I might, I might get out of that position that I've held for a very long time now. Uh, it's been good to me, but I really believe that the best thing to hold long term is Bitcoin. And so that's just something to know. Okay. Uh, real quick, COVID's, I gotta say it that way because it's, better name for it and because well that way i'm less likely to get this video flagged. all i heard all summer long texas and florida killing all grandmas in washington state it's awful those two governors down there meh, just whining crying and pitching because our numbers went up you know we actually have a cold and flu season in texas in like late july august and early september do you know why it's hot as fuck out there so everybody comes inside, just like in the winter up north, when it gets really cold, everybody comes inside. When people are inside, they tend to have their cold and flu season. So we actually do have kind of a, a cold, really a cold, which is what the covades are, a bad cold. I'm sorry, it's true. Look up coronavirus and see what happens, right? See what you find out about colds and covades. So anyway, um, we had our surge, and I won't get into... You know why the pandemic of the unvaccinated is bullshit, but it is. But for like the past six weeks, the case count and hospitalization rate in Texas and Florida have both plummeted, plummeted every day. You can go. I don't I don't have like where you can go look at it in Florida. I've checked, but I don't have like the link. I'll add the link to the the show notes here. For the Texas um, site that I use, the official site from the, the the state of Texas in reporting the numbers, and you know what I haven't heard since the peak? A peep. We had the peak, and those idiots in those networks, they knew it was a peak too because everybody did because I called the peak within five days. I put out a screenshot on all my social media like a week ago, week and a half ago, and said, here, I called the peak on the 25th of August. Here's the peak on the 30th of August. I was off by five days. If the redneck can figure it out, they can figure it out. So once that decline started, been six weeks, they have not said a flip in. Actually, it's been like eight weeks now of continuous down. They haven't said a word. They have nothing to say about it. Now they're now they're actually blaming Florida and Texas for the surges going on in places that didn't have them like California. It's a cycle. It's a virus, a virus going virus. This is something we have to learn to live with and stop hiding from. Uh, as I said yesterday on the podcast, uh, next somebody asked me what killed my crayfish in my duck aquaponic system. So for those that don't know, I put in about an 18,000, 1800 gallon pond this spring right behind my duck house, but there's a fence so the ducks can't get into it. And then I grow aquatic plants that the ducks eat in that. And I grow catfish that I can eat in there. And I grow a bunch of other stuff with it. Like I grow goldfish and then the goldfish fish make baby goldfish. And then you'd net the baby goldfish out and throw them with catfish and the catfish eat them or go into my other ponds with catfish. So it's a, it's a system that's designed to both create things that I can use for myself and feed for other, other parts of my, uh, my systems across the whole property. Now, I got this great idea. I put these three big tanks, about 150 gallons apiece, up on a stand, and then the pump pumps water into those three tanks, and those three tanks overflow back into the pond. I thought, I'll use those tanks, and I'll grow crayfish. And I decided I was going to grow marble crayfish. Um, they don't get very big. They're, you know, two inches long, uh, but they're self-fertile. And I bought some of those, and I put them in a fish tank in the house, and all but one of them has died. So that's a different thing, and several of them, I didn't know I really needed to keep the level of that aquarium a little bit lower. And several of them, the reason they died, they climbed out and either the dog ate them or they you know, dried out and died. And I smelled something and had to find them. I didn't put them in those tanks. I put regular crayfish in those tanks and I kind of hedged my bet and put them in different systems. I put 10 in one of the tank of these great big crayfish I bought from a company, I think in Minnesota or Michigan off Amazon. And one day I went out and all the ones that were still in there were dead. Um, I think I just didn't run the cycle long enough and it wasn't cycled. I really don't know. I'll give it another shot this year. Um I also put some in my shallow pond in my aviary and they all kind of disappeared. And I finally figured out what happened to them. There was a place where the, um I have hardware cloth over that aviary and it kind of peeled up. And basically I think raccoons were figured it out and were going in there and hunting my crayfish. And that's what happened to those ones. So that's what happened there. It's, I don't know if that will ever be like a viable thing raising crayfish in the systems the size that I have, but I'm going to give it another shot next year. But what I learned this year, and this is what's more important. What did you learn that, that's beneficial? One, growing the water hyacinth works. The ducks eat it. The chickens eat it. I can grow more of it than I'll ever need. And everything I grow beyond what they'll eat makes some of the best compost you've ever seen in your life. I can, I can grow thousands and thousands of goldfish, and I can do that by putting water hyacinth in places where big goldfish are, waiting for breeding behavior to be evident, and then moving the water hyacinth and seeding that new area with hundreds of little babies. I can let those then propagate, and I can feed my fish, and if I had to in hard times, I could even, you know, grind that up, make my own fish meal, and feed a very high-protein meal to my ducks. I can grow tons of catfish on that feed, and I can grow billions of minnows, though I already knew that, and I can grow tons and tons of neocardania shrimp, which aren't supposed to live in my climate over winter, but just by throwing hundreds of coals out of my aquarium systems in there, I've developed a race of neocardanias. They're little bitty shrimp. You wouldn't need them, um, but they, they're great feed stock that lived through the great ice caps of 2021 when we had a 60,000-acre lake freeze-over. We went, God, I think we went nine or 11 days without going above freezing for our high here in Texas. These fish or these little shrimp were in uh, 170-gallon stock tanks. Half the top was ice, so they had, like, half ice, half water. Guess what? They lived. So I have used natural selection to my advantage, and now I have all of this available on my systems. I think it's pretty awesome. Next up today, um... I was asked about casting rifle bullets. Does it even make sense? Is it practical? I want to talk about two things with this. One I never really looked into, and this is like in the way back machine in your brain. I worked with a dude named Neil, not the business partner I'm always talking about. This is way before that guy. This is a different Neil. He was out of Georgia, and he was a pretty good salesperson. Uh we worked in hard you know, computer hardware sales, very professional, but he was also like me, like I can go be that guy, but at heart he was a redneck. And uh he was talking about he had something where he was able to cast twenty-two caliber lead bullets, cut the back off of a twenty-two long rifle case. And I don't even know if he did cut the back off. Maybe it was just flattening the rim so you had like a capped, and basically used the twenty-two case to make a copper jacket. For the lead bullet for like, you know, 556 223. And it didn't sound like maybe they were the like like super accurate match bullets, but that's pretty cool. And maybe one of y'all should look into that and see if that's actually a thing or if like somewhere between a scotch and a a scotch and soda and and a cigar, my mind conflated some things, but I I seem to remember that. If you get uh, Richard Lee's uh, handbook of reloading, he goes through everything you need to know about casting bullets, including how to strengthen and harden lead to where you can make both, you know, like squib loads, like really quiet, soft loads, and very high-velocity loads using lead with something like a .30-06 or a 270. It is practical. How practical, I don't know. Um, but if you can't get components, it becomes immensely practical. But the first thing I thought when I saw this question, is it practical to cast your own rifle bullets? Was, well, do we need to think old school? Cause you know what is practical? Casting lead, especially hard lead for the 45 long Colt, casting it for 4570, casting it for a 3030 Winchester, like, but especially the straight wall cartridges, 357 Magnum, 44 Magnum, 444 Marlin. And it's not hard to make your lead cast bullets Really hard. All you need is a little bit of block tin, about 5% to the casting of the lead. So you have 95% lead, 5% block tin, and you get a very, very hard cast bullet. I also wanted to tell you something else. I haven't talked about this on the air for a long time. This is a cool ass trick. I believe, I'm not certain, but I believe I learned about it in a very old edition of Backwoods Home magazine. It could be a different magazine. Did you know, did you know you can make basically the 1800s equivalent of a nozzler partition bullet by casting lead. No, this is not a joke. It really works. I've done it. And you don't need to make a lot of them because if you make soft cast bullets or hard cast bullets for practice, then they're going to, they're going to weigh the same and they're going to fly the same. And you don't only, you only need these for like making deer into meat because then you get this bigger opening. What you do is you get your, your casting block that you're going to pour your lead into, and you, you do everything like normal, but you use two melting pots. And in one melting pot, you use soft lead, just plain straight lead. In the other one, you use like a 5% block tin or 10% block tin for a hard cast. Then you're going to need to take and use a rifle cartridge or something similar to make a scoop for a volume measurement. Okay, and then what that's going to say is when I scoop into the soft lead and drop that into my bullet mold. It's going to fill the mold, you know, a third of the way. And then you go ahead and cast your hard lead on top of it and you get a fusion of those two different qualities of lead. And when that hits something like the side of a deer. the, The soft part and the front mushrooms. And the hard cast, basically wad cutter at this point, drives it through the animal. And is it practical? How creative are you and what are you trying to do? I think if you're talking about, you know, arming a militia, sitting down and individually casting lead is not practical. If you're talking about long-term, sustainable, survival-based, uh, and then a cool hobby, and then maybe even a business, because wouldn't that be cool, Right? Wouldn't that be cool is having like your own bullet casting business and having maybe pull a little buddy shoemaker guy that lived up the street from my grandpa that made wine. You bring me the fruit. I make the wine. I keep part of it. Bring me the lead. Bring me the blocked in. It's not easy as to get as it used to be, but you have people out there doing it for you. It starts to get easy. I don't know about you guys though, but when it comes to reloading right now, the biggest thing I see is a challenge for people getting into it. Uh, or if you're already doing it, if you haven't already stocked up, has been primers. I have not found it that hard to get pills, which are bullets for the uninitiated. I have not found it that hard to get brass. I've not even found it that hard to get powder. It's the primers that are the big bottleneck right now for reloaders. So I would say, if you didn't already do so, some of us did, stock up on primers. They last for damn near ever when stored properly. And I know there's small pistol and large pistol, and then there's small pistol magnum and large pistol magnum. Best practices, magnum load use magnum and standard loads use standards, but they work. I'm just going to say it that way. They all work. And then 209 shot shells have been hard to find as well. But you know, guys, if you had a enough primer and powder and a rifle that shot like 44 magnum, 357 magnum, 4570, one of those old straight wall cartridges and a big pile of lead, I think you could feed yourself from now until the apocalypse and beyond. So, yeah, I think it's practical, and what you do with it is up to you. Um, I also kind of came up with something. I've I've done this kind of my whole life, but I came up talking with my wife this weekend about what is my parenting philosophy at a macro? Like I can explain it to you in two minutes. You can actually implement it and use it in raising your kids, and maybe it will make your life a little bit easier. It's a lot like training a dog not to shit in the house. This is going to sound crazy at first. You're equating your child with a dog. I'm not. But if you've ever heard me teach, how do I teach my new puppy? How do I housebreak my new puppy? You make it almost impossible for the puppy to fail, and you make it very easy for him to succeed. So the puppy comes in the house after he's been outside, after you've observed him do his business, you play with the puppy, you touch the puppy, you do what you want with the puppy, and before the puppy gets to the point where it needs to go again, you put it in its crate. We're not going to put your child in a crate. Relax, okay? Just explaining the philosophy here. We put the puppy in the crate. The puppy may mess in the crate, but it will start to learn to hold it because no animal wants to lay in its own stuff. Right. And then when we take the puppy out of the crate, we carry the puppy, we put the puppy outside and we wait for the puppy to relieve itself. And then we put the puppy back in the house and we keep doing this for a couple of weeks. And within a couple of weeks, you have a house trained dog. It becomes foreign to the dog to drop a deuce Or take a pee in the house. He might need a little bit of help getting through that period. But overall, it becomes like, oh, we don't do that here. We made success easy and failure hard. That's what you do with your kids. What you do is you make doing the right thing incredibly easy and have a reward. And you make doing the wrong thing incredibly painful. And that doesn't mean hurting your child physically, because if you do that, I think you're a dickhead. Right. If you need to hit your child, you don't have control over your child. I'm sorry. I know that pisses some of you off, but I'm serious. Like, okay, is your child old enough to understand logic and reason? Okay, then use logic and reason and restriction to train your child, right? Is your If the answer to that is no, they're not, then you're an abusive bastard hitting a child that doesn't understand why they're being hit. See? Real freaking simple. Violence begets violence. So we don't need to hit that kid. But what we need to do is whenever they make the wrong path, that results in like when my grandson's being lazy, he gets more work. When my grandson takes initiative, he gets praise. And that's it. You make the wrong choices have consequences and be difficult. And you make the right choices so simple, so easy, that the nature of the human being is to what? To take the easier path. Now, if you're saying, doesn't this sound like the way that society is controlled today? Yes, that's why you have to be a responsible adult with the best interest of your child at heart and we're not doing this to 25-year-olds. We're doing this to our children and then it has to be done. This is the final piece of the macro policy and I explain this to every child that ever comes into my orbit that I have anything to do with parenting. By the time they're about six or seven, I have this discussion because they're old enough now to comprehend it. Grandma, granddaughter's not there yet. I've had it many times my grandson He's 10. My job is to reduce the number of rules you have Every year, I want to go from lots of rules to zero rules as swiftly as I can. And I need to get that done by the time you're 18. If I can get it done earlier, great. I want you to have no rules for me. I'm instilling discipline in you. And once you are going to do the right thing without my rules, why do you need a rule? And you have that conversation with a kid that's been living this way for a while, six, seven, eight years old. You'd think they'd go, I don't know. You know what they say? Because you wouldn't have to. That's raising young adults. It's not about control. Because some people would look at that and say it's control. No, it's it's guidance and direction. I don't want you to run in the street because I don't want you to get hit by a car. When you get out of the car in a parking lot, I want your head up and your eyes out. So when your head up and your eyes are not out, then you get yelled at by grandpa, then you get then you get to hold my hand like a child because you're behaving like one, right? But when I see the head up and eyes out, good job, buddy. And when I see the head up, eyes out, and him go grab his 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 sister's hand because she's not there yet, great job, buddy. Great job, buddy. I'm proud of you. It means so much. And kids want this. If you don't think kids want this, look at kids that are allowed to run around like crazy little animals with no guidance for safety and honesty and doing the right thing and being a good member of society and helping others and having high morals like Go look at them when they're twelve. They might look like they have freedom, but you know what they are? They're mis- they're not just little assholes. Right? It's not their fault. No one did this with them. They're also miserable. They're unhappy. My wife told me about a story uh the other day of a place where the schools were having so many problems, kids were always fighting, kids are not listening, kids are bullying the teachers, basically. You know, you get up in like even fifth or sixth grade, and you got one teacher and 28 kids. If half of those kids are like, no. They outnumber you, and if it's a female teacher especially, and those are boys or even girls, it becomes physically intimidating. So a bunch of fathers got together and said, well, enough of this shit. We're not having this no more. And they take shifts, and they go to the school every day, and they stand in the back of the classroom. They stand in the hallways. And I don't know if the school liked it or not at first, but I think they made this. This is not optional. You have our kids. This shit's going on. We're putting a stop to it. And they're cool about it. They're not in there like, "I'll beat your ass. They're in there like, hey. Get to class. Hey, the teacher said, sit down, sit down. They started interviewing the kids. Most of the kids love it because now school is school for them. Now they can go to school. Now they're not getting bullied. Now they're not having a complete disruption when they're trying to learn. Now, you know what I want to do. I want to shut down all the state schools. I don't trust the state with your kid. But if you're going to let your kid be in school and you're like, I can't do homeschooling, then put something in place like that. Because my sister-in-law is a teacher, is teaching fifth grade right now, and she said all the girls want to do is physically fight. I bet you they wouldn't physically fight if we start putting significant male influence into the system. That's something we've lost. And let's be honest, even a lot of the males in the system anymore, not really standing up like men, are they? I believe that the best thing for a child is to have male and female influence. And I mean nurturing female influence and hard you know, tough male influence that balance. If you're a single mom or single dad, I'm not insulting you. I don't mean it that way, but I think if the, you know, the best option when it's available, I think we were designed as a species to grow that way. I know that I'm a better parent in conjunction with my wife and my wife will tell you she's a better parent in conjunction with me. We both make mistakes. Sometimes she's not hard enough. Sometimes I'm too hard. We balance. It's almost like we were designed that way or something. I'm just saying, boy, that triggered somebody right now. Um, I also want to hit on another crypto topic real quick here, lightning. You've probably heard a lot about lightning. Lightning is a way to make bitcoin fast and cheap. That's one way to do it. But what lightning really is, really is, you know all be like, "We need proof of stake. It's better than proof of work for the environment." First of all, first of all, uh we can do 100% of the power required for bitcoin using the flares off gas wells and and oil wells. The stuff they're burning into the atmosphere right now? Yeah, there's enough energy right there. There's deployable solutions that are being put out all over Texas, Wyoming, and Alberta, Canada right now, mining Bitcoin on wasted energy, taking the exhaust from the generator, running the flare gas that was burning into the environment and pumping it back into the freaking ground, and it's carbon negative. So let's just end that. But you want proof of stake? That's what Lightning is. Lightning is a proof of stake layer on the Bitcoin network that stakes Bitcoin and pays rewards to the people who put the staking up. Now it doesn't pay some like high reward, like 7%. It's very, very small. You might run a node on a lightning network and over a year, you might get a couple dollars, but it doesn't really cost a lot to run a lightning network. And when you stake some Bitcoin on it, which makes you a valid node, it's not gone. You can take it back and shut down your node whenever you want. So it's not about getting your money back. Now there might be an equipment investment or something like that, but it's something you can do. So I was asked yesterday, what is the benefit of running a Lightning node? Because I ordered, like many of you, the Start9 server uh, from Start9, the embassy. And I ordered it with the new software on it. And they kind of like float, haven't quite gotten the new software done as fast as they thought they would. So they've been offering to ship it with the old software and then you can upgrade it. And they say the upgrade will be easy. And I've like been knowing for the past couple months you know, if it gets here, it's going to sit on my desk until after the workshop anyway, so maybe they'll get it done. They didn't, so yesterday I said, go ahead and ship it. They shipped it right away. I'm going to set it up. It does a lot of things for privacy. We're not going to go into that. There is an episode on the Start9 Embassy in the whole suite. I will put a link in the notes to the podcast after I get everything edited and uploaded if you want to check that episode out. It's not in video here on YouTube if you're watching the live stream, but it is in audio, and i will tell you all about it. But one thing it does, it's literally a couple button clicks. And you set up your own lightning node. You have your own node. You can run your own payments through it, etc. But you know what I think we should all put up lightning nodes for? Because fuck the central banks. That's why. And if you need more than fuck the central banks, I got the wrong audience for this. You see, there's this idea, right, out there in a lot of different schools of thought that eventually, like, everybody will just take all their money and dump it at the door of the central banks and tell them to piss off. You know what? That's not going to happen. Not that way. Crypto is how that can happen. When you take your currency, your U.S. dollars, and you convert it into crypto, especially Bitcoin, you've taken your life force, your life energy out of their world. I want you to think about it. You've teleported your stored life energy from their world to one you have full control over. Lightning enables this world to work better, faster, cheaper, and smarter. It also enables something else, more Privacy. If you're concerned about privacy, especially with multiple transactions, small transactions, etc., you want Lightning to succeed. The more lo- nodes on the Lightning network, the better it works. The better it works, the more likely it is to succeed. The lower the cost of operation, the greater the speed, and the greater obfuscation. The more nodes, the more possible paths, the harder it is to figure out when Tony bought a scone from Steve, who did what? Now, Taproot is another protocol in Bitcoin, I won't get deep into, but when it's fully implemented, they basically activated it, but it's not implemented yet. When fully implemented, Taproot plus Lightning equals, I don't know if you're looking at it trying to figure things out. Uh Lightning already uses onion routing, which basically is the same thing that that, that like Tor runs on. Okay. It's very difficult for anybody to know anything that's going on in a Lightning Network. And it's this additional layer. And you can participate in it. And there's a lot of ways to do it. Start9 seems like the easiest way. And if Start9 only did that, would I use it to run a Lightning node? I don't think so. But listen to the Start9 episode and all the applications that can run on Start9. And if you're a member of my MSB, you get a big discount. So big it pays for your first year, half of your second year on the cheapest option. And the more expensive options, it might pay for multiple years of my membership, just in that discount alone. So consider Start9. And if you've been waiting if you've been waiting to get your Start9 Embassy because you're waiting for the 2.0 version, I've talked to the, the owner that I had on the show, and he said, don't wait. Like, just take it. The upgrade will be easy, and it's not like the other one's going to stop working. So go ahead, get it set up, and roll. Um, and if you've been thinking about a lightning node, no matter how you do it, do it. Two more quick ones, and I'll take questions from the audience after that. Um, did Oklahoma's National Guard stumble onto a solution? So if you haven't heard, they 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 appointed a new commander of the Oklahoma National Guard, General something something, right? So General something something comes in and says, you know what? You know this this federal government mandate that all federal employees, which National Guards technically are, have to be vaccinated. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Well, you have to. No, no. Let me explain this to you. I'm the commander of these men in my state. And I serve first under my governor and second under the president. First under the governor. I am the Oklahoma State Guard commander. Take your mandate and shove it up your ass. Like Chris Rock at the end of uh, the movie with Jackie Chan, all up in your ass, right? So the federal government says, well, let me tell you something, buddy. Then you're not going to be under the federal umbrella anymore. And you're going to basically be the Oklahoma State Militia and we're going to pull our support. Oh, shit, it's that easy? That's all we have to do. Hey, Abbott, hey, Abbott, DeSantis, get your top person for your state guards on the freaking phone. Tell them to do this, and if they don't, at your pleasure, as you have a right, replace them with somebody who will. Oh, gee, Texas State Guard, oh, we already have one of those. It just got bigger. Oh, you know all the assets we have, all the bases, all that shit? Yeah, we're keeping that. We're keeping that. And then maybe, then maybe like, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, anybody with a brain that does this too says, you know what? Since we're not federal anymore, I guess our new National Guard troops don't go to, like, Fort Jackson or whatever for their basic. Oh, maybe they can go to Fort Hood here in Texas. Maybe we'll just pull our resources. We have plenty of NCOs and officers in our Guard. Maybe we activate some of them to full time that want to do that. Jab or no jab, it's up to them. Maybe we start running our own basic, our own training. We have all the knowledge that we need. Texas is something like the ninth largest military in the world already. So, oh, gee, that's it? That's all we have to do is tell you to screw and you're going to divorce us instead of us having to divorce you? Good job, Oklahoma. Abbott, DeSantis, and what's her name? Uh, Nome. Like, you three are the other three that have at least stood on this somewhat at some point and said no more. Do it, too. That's four states. For state militias, that's a great deal more liberty right there than we have now. Good job, Oklahoma. It's just a easy thing to do. And somebody's saying the U.S. Air Force basic is only in Texas. Yeah, isn't that convenient? I think that wouldn't change. That wouldn't change. We would have to figure out how to share certain bases and things like that between us. But as far as the assets, the National Guard assets, they're ours. What I mean by assets, I mean those things that fly through the air and blow shit up, right? All that stuff. That's the National Guard's assets. You want to divorce us, we're taking our property with us since you filed for divorce. Thank you, Joe Biden. Good job, Kamala Harris. Great job. Love it, love it, love it. Please, other governors need to get with Oklahoma and follow this blueprint because it works, apparently. And an original copy of the United States Constitution is being auctioned by Softbees. I think that auction already started. I don't know if it's over, but a Dow, a group of cryptocurrency enthusiasts, put together like $40 million to buy it. My guess is they're probably going to get it. And then you know what they're going to do? They're going to NFT that sucker, right? They'll take all the people that threw in, they'll create a certain number of NFTs for ownership of it. And then they'll say, we're going to keep this percentage and distribute it to all the people that already contributed of the NFTs We'll take the balance of the NFTs. We're going to sell them. And then we're going to reward the first NFT holders at the proceeds of the second NFT holders and maybe set some aside for some way to uh preserve and enshrine this copy of the constitution. And then if it ever sells again through another auction, all the NFT holders will get a reward. Look, somebody's using NFTs without being retarded about it, without selling JPEGs. Isn't that cool? If you can do that, what else can you do? Right? So that's what I got today. If you, um, have a question for me now. What I'd like to see is you put that question or comment for me in all caps. And if I got anybody that wants to come on briefly, assuming that you have good video and audio, not poor video and audio, I'm going to drop a link right now. And if I see you come in the waiting room, I might bring you on a chat for just a bit. I might hold you short. We're at 45 minutes. I'm going to go about one hour today. So, Um, But that's the link if you want to join us. Okay, first question to come in from Mike. My question, with the current supply inflation situation, is there a quick profit opportunity in purchasing uh, non-essentials with the intention of flipping closer to Christmas? Maybe. I don't know. That's like buying Cabbage Patch Kids in 1984 and hoping you could dump them closer to Christmas. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's not how I would spend my time. It's not how I would spend my resources. Like If I was going to... If I was going to try to make some money with leverage right now over buying a thing, I would buy a thing that isn't essential so that if I don't get the opportunity to flip it, I'll still eventually use it. That's kind of how I think. Um, next up, Eric says, what crypto podcast do you listen to? Um, what is Money by Robert Breedlove and What Bitcoin Did by Peter McCormack. And pomp. Those are the three that I'm subscribed to. They're on my iPhone. Well, I'm filling duck water in the morning or something. Those are what I listen to. Know this. Breedlove is a maximalist, um, but not a toxic maximalist. Like he's not a guy that like shits on everything else. He's just like Bitcoin is the best, Bitcoin's the apex predator, etc. Um, McCormack is a toxic maximalist maximalist, which means everything that's not a Bitcoin is a shit coin. Um I still think that he's incredibly valuable. That's why I listen to him. And I always call myself what a maximalist light. Like I think Bitcoin is going to eat everything in the end. Um But that doesn't mean I have to crap on everything else or that nothing else has any value. Uh Next up, what the hell happened to John in West Virginia from Joe? I don't know. I haven't heard from him in a very long time. I know he had a big problem with alcohol. He did not hide this. He went into rehab for like 30 days. And he turned his life around. Um, and maybe he just got so productive we just don't hear him much anymore. And I don't play many colleges anymore either, and that's that's how we always knew it was John from West Virginia, just the voice alone, huh? Um, Steven says, how does the carnivore diet impact foods with gout? Okay. When I went keto, and it wasn't full carnivore yet, when I went keto, I had never had gout in my life. I got gout. So I'm not going to say it's going to make it better initially. And the reason I got gout is when you start burning off fat that maybe you've stored in your body for 10 or 15 years, and you're burning it off, like the, your body's not really going to be like, oh, this fat cell is the most current one. I'll save it, and I'm going to, like, first in, first out, like with crypto trading, right, with the IRS. Um, it's going to burn it wherever it makes the most sense to burn it. So you could be burning fat cells that are 15 years old, 10 years old, and three days old all at the same time. And your fat is where your toxins are stored. So some of those toxins may be things like, oh, uric acid, which is what causes gout. So I had gout. It sucked. I didn't like it. It also went away after about a week. After about a week, it could push where I had felt it before, and it never really swelled, but the pain was localized to the part of the foot that you get gout on, and it was exactly the way people with gout describe it, so I would say it was gout. And then it went away. And I would guess that long-term, keto probably fixes gout. But I'm not going to say if you already have gout, it it might not cause flare-ups. And I'm not going to say if you've never had it, it might not cause it. That's my personal experience. What do we got here? Taylor says, making primers, pre-priming, Armstrong powder, et cetera, thoughts. Um, I've never done making primers. Powder is something totally different that I have, like, no knowledge of. And I've just never had that much trouble getting my hands on powder, I'm very interested in the idea of being able to basically reload primers. There's machines that basically will take a primer and push the dent out of it from where it's been impacted, and you can create your own primer paste and put it in. But I've never tried it, so I don't really know. But I think that might be something we need to um, – that's something we might need to look into. I'll just say that because it is a weak link in reloading. Like You can stock up powder for damn near ever. I guess you can do it with primers, but right now it's the weak link to get your hands on. Um, and then somebody has to go off on something, uh, .com cowgirl. That's nothing to do with my discussion about the Constitution at all. The Constitution failed in its attempt to buy the copy. Oh, okay, no, you're, I'm sorry, I was wrong. They failed, sold to an unknown buyer who must have outbid them by $40 million bucks. Jeez, I still like the model. Jake Robinson, can you put podcast list in description, please? I don't know, Jake. Maybe I will. Maybe you can do it yourself. I hate any ass. Actually, I love Jake. Jake has a uh, roll-your-own MSG powder. MSG! Ah! No, calm down. If you don't like MSG, you better not eat tomatoes or mushrooms or seaweed or a bunch of other things that we eat all the time and call healthy, and that's exactly what Jake made it out of in a dehydrator. We learned about it from Guga at Guga Foods and Suvi Everything, and it's pretty damn awesome. I've been using that a lot lately. How does the carnivore diet impact people? I just answered that one. All right. Somehow I got two of them. Um, how long do you think it will be till the paper dollar is useless? A lot longer than you probably think. I don't know what that number is. But you're not going to see the U.S. dollar just implode overnight in the next few weeks or even, I don't even think, the next few years. Uh, people are addicted to the dollar. It's going to be a slow exodus. But I do think that eventually it will work like, you know, Hemingway's line. How did we go bankrupt first gradually, then suddenly? I think there will be this like like almost instant meltdown is what it will look like. But I think it's already started. Like it's melting. But how long does it take for a multi-trillion dollar ice cube to fully melt? And But there is a tipping point, right, where that ice cube, that iceberg goes like this and inverts because the top melts faster than the bottom. And then you get a, a temperature exchange and then. But I don't know when um, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Mike Saylor. If the money has integrity, the currency doesn't need to. If we're holding our excess of wealth in real assets. And let me explain one of the reasons I'm so big on Bitcoin for this. Let's say you're holding Ford stock and Ford's doing fairly well. What is Ford stock? Ford stock is an equity represented in dollars. You're still in the dollar. If you're holding a bond from a company, like a guaranteed debt instrument from a company, that's a good track record of paying their debt. you're not you know it's a Class A bond. It's paying three or four percent. You're still holding dollars. There's not a lot of ways to get out of holding dollars, and the way most people do it is they go into holding foreign equities. So if I hold a stock of a Swedish company, I'm holding euros. Not much better. If I'm holding Bitcoin, I'm actually outside the system. That's true of other crypto as well, but I'm not as confident in it long-term. So that's one of the reasons. Or you hold gold or you hold silver. Or you hold all three. Or you hold gold, silver, Bitcoin, and real estate. Then you're diversified. Because even though the real estate right now is technically denominated in dollars, and most people holding Bitcoin think in dollars, and silver and gold think in dollars, if the dollar goes away, those four assets are still assets and whatever the new currency likely lacking the integrity has. That's my mindset here. Let's see what else I can find. Any update on my search to buy land in Texas? Nope. Haven't found a place yet. Though Jake has given me some really great ideas with his presentation at the workshop. The U.S. House just passed the $8.6 trillion bill. Uh, I'm not going to comment on that because I don't know where you got that number from. Um, I believe it was $1.7 trillion. Uh, not to defend them, it's just, that's what I say. I don't see any, oh, here's an all caps. Remember all caps for this, guys. Uh, how can you leave your crypto as an automated will? All right. I think if you were really technical, you might be able to do that right now. The technology to do it the way that I've been talking about it, that I've heard from Mike Saylor, where you're basically leaving a trust that pays out a smart contract based on certain conditions may exist, but it's not like easy. Yet. Right. So I don't think we're there yet. Right now, what I would do if I don't want to do something complicated, like I want to if I wanted to enshrine the Shriek, the the Spirco, uh permaculture school and I wanted like certain conditions to be met and the endowment gets paid out annually that I need something like that for. If I just want my kid to have my crypto when I go, I just explain to my kid how crypto works and where all the data will be when I die. How he'll acquire the data when I die. And when I die, he just takes it. For right now, I think that's your best way to go. Um, I do see we have somebody that wants to come on with us named Zane. Zane, when you get your camera centered, I'll see if I can bring you on. And, uh, there we go. All right. So let's see if Zane has something he wants to say.
2: Welcome, hey, Zane. Hey guys. How,
1: how you doing? I'm good, man. Happy
2: November to all the guys out there and for mental health. Hey, yeah. So um yeah this is first time and uh thank you very much for bringing me on but um ha- I'm in Western Australia do you guys hear much uh media coverage about what's
1: happening with our lockdowns or you what's know going we on? did we did hear about it and then it kind of with all the crap going on here right now kind of faded into like the below the fold in the news cycle but we've heard some really bad stuff and i guess my question to you would be is it that bad
2: Look, I, I, I live in Western Australia and, uh, I really haven't been affected that much because our state has like locked down, our guy has locked down our state. So, um, I've been able to work all the way through it, but I do know that people on the East coast are finding it a lot harder. So yeah.
1: And I think that's what we see in a lot of places. Like the more rural you are, the maybe it's not even by choice. It's just. How do you control this vast urban area, the rural area of all these people spread out? But it's really easy to control a city. Everybody in this range goes to these same 10 stores. And so, but I mean, you, do you have friends out there? Like this stuff we're hearing about, like, you know, armored cars and cops interfering with people's lives. Is that all true? Because I've been told you're an alarmist. That's not really happening. And I don't know. I see pictures of it happening. So I tend to believe them.
2: So I can talk for W.A., Um, I work in the prison sector. I go from Albany to Broome, and that's like 7,000 kilometres a distance from north to south. Um, And at the start of the lockdowns, yes, there was um, Australian personnel with the police on the borders, but my (laughs) brother-in-law used to live in Sydney, and he had to come back to WA because he just couldn't find work over there. And I do believe the police have had the, oh, sorry, the army have had to help the police with the defense because, you know, if the police are having time off, then who else is going to, you know, law, the law, the streets.
1: So we got to crush the rebellion. Basically is the philosophy that I, that I hear in that, you know, yeah, I so mean,
2: tomorrow Western Australia is going to have another March and, um, there is a mandated vaccination by the 1st of December. You have to have your first one. And then the second one by January, if you want to be part of the citizens.
1: That to me, like anybody that thinks this is about safety at this point, like you've lost your mind, right? You're literally, and how are people reacting to this? Because I think it depends on numbers. Like if, if you get 90% compliance, the 10% are screwed. If you get 50% compliance, then the authority is screwed. You can't run a society with half the productive people going, you're on your own. And I think that's like, that's the approach people are starting to take here, but I think that's because there's enough resistance. Is there enough resistance for that to work?
2: I'm not too sure about that, but I know in my uh, job, they are, they haven't mandated the vaccination. They did ask for a vaccination register. And I know last week they said there was a hundred employees still have not registered for the vaccination. And I know when I walk through and talk to, say, some of the younger females that haven't had children yet um, or been married, they're just worried about their long-term effects as well of what could happen.
1: As I think they should be. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw it out to you, give you one more chance, if you, there's anything you wanted to say on air that you didn't get to say, and then I'm going to bring in our next guest.
2: Dude, you're awesome. And from WA, thank you very much. Jack your ass.
1: Thank you for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. All right, I'm gonna bring another guest on Plumber Payday in just a second. I'm gonna go ahead and answer this real quick though. Um, anarchy? Some weird way of spelling spelling anarchy. Um, do you do consulting on homestead aquaponic systems design as a side hustle? I do not. I do not do consulting as a side hustle. I do not do consulting. I pretty much put everything that I think can help people out on the air, out on YouTube, et cetera, and then kind of you guys grab it and go with it and do something with it. Um, this is what I do is this podcast, and then I run an educational facility, and I run workshops on the facility, and I don't run that many of them. I do this so that I have the material and the credibility saying this thing works or it doesn't. I am not in the permaculture consulting, aquaponics consulting, et cetera. If you want consulting, someone that does, it's part of our expert council, does a great job. Nick Ferguson, I'd look him up. All right. We are going to bring Plumber Payday on. What's up, man? Hello. Oh, sorry, there's something wrong with my microphone My Bluetooth. You're really, really soft. You're really soft. If you can just talk a little louder, I think we'll be good. For Okay. All right. Uh, if you can get your audio stuff, we'll bring you back on. I'm sorry about that. I Since... uh. Since I am uh doing this for a podcast, I have got to not do that all right, so let's see if we can take a couple more and then we'll wrap up. I'm looking for all caps again uh Michael V, I am full carnivore. Will I start pooping regularly again two months in? okay so the uh the reality is that um carnivore stool is soft. But I know what you mean. When I first went full carnivore, I was already keto and I went full carnivore, it was I don't want to describe this on air, but it wasn't regular, it was you know, not good. It it didn't take me 2 months though, but I think eventually you will. Um that's an odd question, not one I really expected to get, but it is a thing that happens uh from time to time. We got something here. Um, the local boys have made primers by putting a snap cap down in the bottom of it, literally a cap gun longevity not explored. That's interesting. I'm going to try to bring pump plumber payday back on and we'll see yeah. if we can hear him. And he can hear us this time. Can you hear us?
0: Yes, I can hear you
1: now, Mr. Right. And you are much louder. So great. Go ahead, sir.
0: Yeah, I have my Bluetooth. In. Uh, you've just been an inspiration over the years. Um, I'm actually starting my pumping business and I'm in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Okay. And I just see how um, I can fight against the, the bigger companies in the area and kind of get my name out there. Because I was working for a bigger company before and, you know, I want to expand myself and be more self-sufficient.
1: And, and how, how, exactly how are you? Like, are you just going out, kicking ass, getting customers? Or are you how are you handling like running a business now?
0: Uh I'm actually doing it from the ground up. I actually just transitioned from working for a big company. So I am basically starting marketing, putting out flyers and yard signs, uh, trying to weigh out if I should go the Facebook, Google um, route. I mean, I have over 300 Google reviews from that company that I can basically kind of use for myself, but I just yeah. it's a lot to weigh out. So I don't, I would like to do like a one page website with uh, WordPress blogs and things of that nature. But it's all kind of overwhelming with being from, you know, day one. But uh, you have a lot of experience and I've been listening for a long time and ready to make that transition.
1: You know, I would say in the beginning, get your get your name out there like any way that you can. I think Facebook's the devil. I still would use Marketplace if it works. Right. Like it's okay to take from a system like that. And, um, the other thing that I would do is make damn sure every single person that you ever actually do work for, you build a database and you're able to hit them up with, Hey, especially like maintenance stuff and stuff like that. Like I'm going to be in your area cause you got a trip roll cost, you know, and like, I don't really know plumbing very well, but I'm sure there's some maintenance things and some check things like, and make sure that you're marketing to that database because that customer base that's happy with you is gold. If you buy a company, the number one thing I'm buying, if I buy a company their customer database. That's, that's their real value. Anything else I can hire somebody to do, or I can get manufacturing for somewhere else, but a customer base is the company's value. So like, that's, that's your gold. That's what you need to hang on to. That's what you need to love. Thank you.
0: Um, since I'm also in a big metro area, how should I um, kind of target different areas? Because, you know, there's a lot of areas that's close to Washington, DC, and I'm about, 50 miles away from the South. So there's a big area that I can kind of cast my net out to, but there are some more target areas that I would like to target more than others.
1: Yeah, I would start in your own backyard. I would start with next door and surrounding neighborhoods feature and just advertise your services there. That's where I would start. Try to start building up that track record, building up that customer base, like getting into like, if you're going to do like targeted direct mail or something like that, that's, I can't do that in a segment on a podcast like this, but um, I think what you really have to like starting with the website is the way to go and really define your value. And then the best thing you can do as a marketer is if you have your value clearly defined, then find the matching clients that will appreciate that value. Is your value that your personal service? Is it that you're quicker to respond? Is it that you you know have more experience? Is it that you, You know, certain like I don't know plumbing. So maybe is there a system that's common in your area that requires a little bit of extra knowledge? I I don't know that, but like that's the way to think. And so for you, as much as for marketing, define that value first, have that clear value message and then match the value to the clientele, if that makes sense.
0: It does. Thank you. Your perspective is
1: much. I'm going to. I'm going to remove you from the studio now, not because you're not cool, but because you're getting a cheap chirpy sound in there when you're not talking. And, uh, and I think I've done what I can for you dad. Thank you for coming on and keep in touch with us. Let us know how this goes.
0: We'll do much. Appreciate it.
1: Bye now. All right, guys, I'm going to look and see if there's anybody else with all caps other than Jake. I don't see anybody. He's saying he's next door. He's not wrong next door again. He's not wrong. I'm looking, going to the bottom up now, looking for all caps. I don't see any. Okay, I'm going to go back to the bottom. If you have anything else for me, go ahead, all caps, and we're going to wrap up today. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I really think when I made the decision to stop doing Miyagi Mornings, there were some people that didn't like it, but I think it made a lot of sense, and I'm enjoying doing these. And The only negative about going to this Outback with Jack format is that it happened right when, like, vacation happened It happened right when workshop happened. And then next week it happens right when Thanksgiving happens and going into the end of the year and downtime and stuff like that. So next week we will not have a Friday show. So we will not have an outback with Jack, but I, you know what I'm thinking about doing? I'm thinking about Monday next week. Um, unless something gets in the way of it, doing this Monday next week, because these are becoming very quickly. My favorite shows to do. I love hearing from the audience. I love hearing from like, like the last guy, like comes on, like yeah. Screw this shit. I'm. I'm setting my own plumbing company. Like, I'll tell you what I do know about plumbing. Not a lot. I know water goes down pipes and water comes out of pipes. And when stuff breaks, it sucks. But I know this. Every person I know that developed a plumbing company for themselves has money. Lots of money. It is an awesome, awesome way to provide a service that people will always need. Um, I, I, I really think this is. Somebody says. Uh, Outback with Jack is the best thing since TSP rewinds. I I I I kind of agree. I don't like to, you know, brag on my own stuff or anything, but uh, man, this is it's 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 great because you guys seem to like it. But I really enjoy it too. I get so much more interaction this way. What's your favorite recreational activity? Anybody in the chat can answer that. My favorite recreational activity. I don't even have to think. It's fishing. There's something to me about fishing that's very very spiritual. When you are holding this flimsy rod, there's this little thin line. And on the other end of it is like a 12-pound fish. So if that fish were out of water, you could just pick it up with one hand and go, yeah, here you go. And that fish is just rip and drag, and you got to do it just right. And if you screw it up, that fish is going to go and get away. And even when you land it, that fish doesn't know it, but all you're going to do is take that hook out and let it go. That's something pretty awesome. I haven't really found another way to do it. I love hunting, but I can just fish all year. And I can only hunt in certain times of year and I can go out the back door basically and fish, you know, and I don't mean the backyard. I mean, literally, there are places I can fish that are a five minute drive from here. I can take my grandson, you know, and fishing, it doesn't like you're hunting, you're cold or you're plowing through the woods or something like that. Fishing, you can sit on a sunny bank or under a shady tree and just basically kick back, listen to some music, have a drink. If you catch fish, you do. And if you don't, you don't. And it produces an out an outlet uh, an, an output, right? Uh, you do have the ability to harvest fish or food, which we do a lot of that as well. We don't do all CNR. Uh, I think that'll do it. And I really, really appreciate it. oh. Oh, uh, frack, frack you something. Uh says, have you seen the Brave browser browser wallet? I haven't, I haven't looked at it. My question for you, if you can give me an answer before we wrap up would be now that brave has a wallet of its own, can I receive my bat in that wallet? and get the hell away from dealing with Uphold, which is a pain in the ass. That's something I would like to know because I hate Uphold. I know why they're doing it. They're doing it so that the tax accounting shit is taken care of by somebody else. Um, I think we're about wrapped up here. I got another that's more of a comment there from Sean. Sean, thank you for that, and we'll wrap up. I really hope you guys enjoy this Outback with Jack format. Again, I'm going to look at doing this on Monday. It's going to be do I get enough bullet points and everything done over the weekend to do it. And I guess I could put it a little bit later in the day. Uh, I do this really early on Fridays because guess what, guys? I'm going to edit this. I'm going to upload it. And then I'm going to screw off for the rest of the day with my family. Thank you for hanging out with me. Have a great weekend.
0: You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out?